Wendell Vaughn, the first Earthman ever appointed protector of the universe, bonded to the energy-transforming quantum bands that are both weapons and symbols of his station. He fights an ongoing battle to defend all life in the universe from cosmic evil. Stanley presents Quasar. Greetings and welcome to the Quantum Cast, your source for everything to do with the Kevin Bacon of the Marvel Universe, Quasar. I am one of your hosts, Gene Hendricks, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Mr. Adam Worth. How are you tonight, sir? Hey, Daddy. Well, we're off to a great start, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> uh... Well, it's nice to actually get back to uh, Soul Issue Quasar, because the last episode we put out was our huge Infinity Gauntlet special, which and, yes. I think went over very well. Uh, we got a lot of good feedback on that, and it was fun. It was fun because I got to relive comics of yore, but it was also, I think, a good way for somebody who either really liked those comics and read them at the time to relive them through us, or somebody who's new to the Marvel Universe and being brought in through the movies to see how it actually played out originally. And I'm not downing the movies. I think the movies are an excellent modernization, adaptation for the format that they have. There's no way they could put all this backstory into a movie and have it be any little bit watchable. Oh, I agree. Because, I mean, half the stuff they haven't even introduced yet. I mean, they the Marvel Cinematic Universe has no concept of abstract entities as it stands right now. Correct. And half of what was going on was dealing with abstract entities, especially death. Right. So if if you if you don't address that ahead of time, none of it's going to make sense. Correct. And how does the like and really you're talking about pretty next level concepts. It's not something that your average PG-13 audience is really going to be able to wrap their heads around. And even if they can, they're not going to be able to appreciate it from a philosophical standpoint. You know, your death, your oblivion, your um as we'll find out in several issues here in Quasar, uh, that he, you know, he adopts the uh, anomaly uh, personality, becomes the next anomaly, uh, which is uh, is one of the things that drew me to this because, you know, it, well, this one came out in 1990, right? Yeah. I would have been 16, 15, 16, and my my high school brain was just like it was a mind-blowing experience like a like a drug trip 60s like wow man you can be have an abstract entity of the universe and there's only one and it is the physical embodiment of this abstract concept groovy dude and uh that's why i liked it and i also uh thank everyone for being so kind to us that we only put this out like what every four or five months uh but they they at stick most. in here and they actually and, and they listen yeah. which is uh, which is a nice thing speaking of listening we do yes. have a listener email however uh this this writer wrote in just after listening to episode 11 which dealt with issue number 11 okay but he goes on quite a bit into issue number 12, which is what we're covering tonight. So we're going to sh put that email at the end. And that way, everyone who's listening will know exactly what we're talking about when we go over the email. All right. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Now, speaking of issue 12, shall we dive right into it? Yeah, let's let's do that. I think this is a one-off issue. It's a way to introduce a sidekick esque character uh to the quasar lineup but this is a remember when comic books could be standalone like you get an entire story in one comic versus a six or eight or twelve issue arc this was back in the day where you could have one issue one story be done with it yeah and there are all the subplots go through this so we're, we're still seeing bits and pieces going on but the the a plot for lack of a better mm -hmm. term, of this issue is a done-in-one, and I love that kind of thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Alright, so yes, we are talking about Quasar issue number 12, and the cover date on this is July 1990. Holy crap, is this book old. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and by extension, so are we. 
The original on-sale date was May 8th of 1990, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. Story by Mark Gruenwald. Pencils by Mike Banley. Inks by Fred Fredericks. Letters Janice Chiang. Colors Paul Becton. Editor Howard Mackey. And the editor-in-chief, Tom DeFalco. And I don't know, Adam, if you have the same issue I do with the uh, the editor-in-chief, but there's multiple T's on mine around the name Tom. Yeah, T, Tom, T, T, DeFalco. I believe that that is a printing mistake. So do because I. Because <laughs> those T's are inconsistent. It's uh, it's like uh, like the, the typewriter slipped or something like that, and it's not a, a full impression. Yeah, it it's just... It caught my eye because usually for the editor-in-chief, they do something clever. Right. And I didn't know if that was it, but it doesn't make any sense if it is clever. Or so I'm I'm just not smart enough to get it. Yeah, well, it's likely that you're not smart enough to get it, but I really think, <laughs> considering that I am, no, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just teasing. Um, I think that this was a printing error that was very common during this era of comics. All right, well, on the cover here, we have Quasar equipped with a sword and shield. And, I mean, physical sword and shield, not not quantum construct. Facing mm-hmm. off against Mammoth's ugly older brother in a gladiatorial arena. The text reads, Arena of Death and Tutanax Attacks. Sounds like a Rocky and Bullwinkle thing. Where they always yeah, two titles. Right. He always has two titles in this thing. And Tutanax Attacks is, I'm assuming it's a form of alliteration that they're going for. Yes, because Tutanax is the the ugly deviant, as we'll find out on this cover. Right, Uh, sure, sure. And I I wasn't familiar with this character uh, reading this. So I went, I just did a quick look up. Apparently he was brought in to the Eternals title uh, way back in 1977. So he's been around. So this is like a C-list celebrity that uh, is being recycled in the Quasar comics, which uh, is very common for this, for Mark's uh, uh, writing work, is he takes characters that uh, were underutilized and breathes new life into them to some extent. Yes. And it, it works for the story. And speaking of the story, we will get into it. Uh, inside, we open up on Quasar, being beaten up by the Blood Brothers on the surface of Mars. Our title reads, Games Deviants Play. Does anyone out there fucking know who the Blood Brothers are besides us? I don't think so. Uh, the Blood Brothers... Again, you're talking Jack Kirby's 60s, 70s Thanos runs, and the Blood Brothers were part of his pirate gang. So um, never particularly popular. I mean, you're talking about D-list villains, you know. So, you know, C-list superheroes fight D-list villains. (laughs) And these guys, if you're watching Guardians of the Galaxy or you're watching... Uh, you know, in one of the Avengers movies, these guys would have been uh, bruiser-type twins somewhere in the menagerie of of, um, of army that uh, that Thanos is bringing to bear. And they look like, uh, at least around the the facial structure, they look like the Abomination. Yeah, a little bit like the Abomination, but with brown fur. If you can wrap your brains around that, and blue monochrome vests. Uh, well, actually, one has a vest, the other one is shirtless, so uh, presumably so you can tell them apart. Yes. <laughs> and they're wearing what look to be quantum bands on their wrists, although right. they're just they're, decorative. <laughs> yeah, they're just decorative, because back in that age, wearing wristbands was the things to do, just like Captain America's pirate-style boots. <laughs> All right, so the pair gloats about how strong they are, and Quasar is yeah. not fighting back at all. Until Wonder Man calls. Yeah, and before we get to that, yeah. so they, they're bragging, these fists have pummeled Iron Man, Hercules, the thing, and you are hardly in their league, Stripling. So they're, like, really gloating. And, and what we find out is Quasar's trying to practice his hand-to-hand skills and not use the quantum bands except for life support. And, of course, because he is just a human dude, he's getting his ass kicked 
And the guy, you know, the guy has a lot of self-doubt, self-worth issues. And I'm starting to see why, because he keeps putting himself and putting himself into situations where he's going to fail. Like he's try, <laughs> you're trying so hard to prove yourself that you're putting yourself into situations where you fail and then you fail and you feel even worse about yourself. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to practice hand-to-hand combat, go talk to Captain America. He'll teach right. you. No problem. <laughs> don't you don't walk up. You know, you're you're a normal guy. I mean, he's he is physically fit, yes, but he's a normal guy. You don't go and walk up to the Hulk and kick him in the shins. Right, right, right. You you start off with somebody a little bit lower power, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe like one of one of Daredevil's D-list villains. That's who you beat up on first. Yeah, you go after Stiltman before you get to these guys. <laughs> exactly. Pick a fight with Stiltman first. <laughs> that fucking guy. That's a good pull, Gene. I'm 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 very pleased with that one. So at this point, Quasar reveals that he's only been using his life support field creates two giant hands, shoves the Blood Brothers away, and flies off, leaving them stranded on Mars. Yeah, and the whole whole reason why he's on Mars is because he was given the job of deporting them to space, and so he's just going to leave them on the barren rock that is Mars to die. Like, that's that's the solution. That's the ethical and uh, well-thought-out solution that they've come up with. Well, he was just told to get them off Earth. They didn't say how far he had to take them. That's true. He's only following orders. Yep. So, Quasar flies back to Earth and gets to the West Coast Avengers compound, where Wonder Man tells him that Makari, the red-clad speedster from last issue, has run off, avoiding all of the defenses that were already proof against Quicksilver. Right. So you know how fast the guy actually is. Yeah, well, you know, Quicksilver can only really run like 400 miles an hour. Yeah, and that, so, that's when he puts his mind to it. Right, and Macari is much, much faster. I mean, again, we're not talking about DC Universe Flash fast. You know, it's way down that power level. But Macari can run, you know, I don't know, like half the speed of light or some shit like that. There's actually a whole racing issue where they did all of the cosmic speedsters and put them into a, a race. But we'll get to that um, in a later issue. So... Having gotten this information, Quasar flies back to New York and into Four Freedoms Plaza. Before we do that, you know there's an ad here for the worst video game I have ever played, the Uncanny X-Men for the NES. You ever played that? Uh, I have, yeah, that I agree. That That is garbage. The fucking worst. Could not figure out how to make any of the characters do anything. And Nightcrawler's only ability was occasionally it would let you pass between walls without going through the door. Yeah, big deal. Yeah. Now, when when I saw it originally, I was like, oh, I love this arcade game. I want to play this at home. Super exciting. Nope. <laughs> not that game. Not that game one little bit. Mm-mm. Luckily, I only ran it, so it didn't really matter to me. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I, I ran it once, and that was it. That was it. So Quasar flies into Four Freedoms um, after making Willie Lumpkin drop off all of his mail out of his hands. Willie Lumpkin, by the way, is the postmaster that Stan Lee plays in the Fantastic Four movies. And that was... That wasn't his first cameo, but I think that was the first one he had with lines. I would agree. That's my recollection as well. Because he was in X-Men, but he was just selling hot dogs. Right, right. So, Quasar flies up into an elevator shaft, grabs clothes from his hidden locker, and heads to his office. Keeping in mind, he's got a one heck of a shiner on his face right now. Yeah. Uh, once he gets there, Kayla tells him that they got another security job, making four total. And if one more comes in, then he'll have to hire Ms. Steckley. Wendell heads into his private office as Kayla gets catty about Ms. Steckley. Can't have two ladies in the same place at the same time without having a problem. Apparently not. Can't really have one when you think about it, but (laughs) I don't want to be sexist. I'm just saying that there can be problems. (laughs) Well, it depends on what time of month it is. Wendell immediately heads into Eon's pocket dimension, where he finds his father talking with the abstract entity. 
Wendell, always insecure, asks his dad to leave and just not pop in anymore. His father leaves in a huff, and Wendell acts even more like a moody teenager when Eon asks <laughs> what's going on. It so does, and he's got the, and it makes it even more pronounced when he looks like Aldrich Killian from the Iron Man three movie <laughs> in that uh, blue blazer and tan slacks combo. Yeah. By the way, because we jumped ahead in the storyline and cover where Eon is killed, I kept on thinking this was a continuity error when I was rereading it the other night, and then I realized, oh wait, we went way out of order to do that Thanos storyline. Yeah, yeah, we we went we went to. We jumped to Quasar's third costume before he even got into his second one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically, that would be his fourth costume. Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is his second, since Eon reconfigured his original one. Oh, and by the way, he has his red, hand, red headband on on Mars. When he's talking to Wonder Man, it's the blue headband. Then he, when he flies away from Wonder Man, it's the red headband again. And then when he leaves for Freedom Plaza after being a moody teenager with Eon and his dad, he puts the red headband back on. It's a mood headband. It it's changes. A mood, it changes with his frustration level. <laughs> Gee, man, you're knocking it out of the park tonight. Good for you. I'm well rested. <laughs> yeah, seriously, dude. So after sitting and pouting for a minute, Wendell leaves the office, giving Kayla and Ken a decent workload before slamming the door. Uh-huh. Ooh, next page. Yep. All monsters are not created equal. Truer words have <laughs> never been spoken. This is an ad for the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition Mo uh, Monstrous Compendium. And I don't know if you remember those, but I used to love those. Like I would just sit down and read the monstrous compendiums, like cover to cover. Uh, that was a fun, fun, fun thing for little Adam to do. <laughs> yeah, and this is specifically the Dragonlance, Greyhawk, and Caratour. Caratour <laughs> uh, sounds like a um, uh, one of Deep Space Nine. Uh, that's like what, what was that planet? Bajor. That's like a yeah. Bajorian name. Caratour. <laughs> Yes, but Tour is the first name. Right. <laughs> first name is Tour. Correct. Uh, so Quasar then takes off into space, and he sets up a first alert energy lattice around the planet. Now, this is going to alert him if anything bigger than a micrometeorite passes through it, as well as help him track energy sources on the surface. This immediate, immediately pays dividends as it picks up tachyons, which are discharged by none other than Makari. Tachyons are fast, uh, hypothetical faster-than-light particles, never actually theorized but never actually discovered yet. Uh, but in the Marvel Universe, of course, they're there. He also talks about how he's so stupid. Why didn't he think about this day one? If he had done this earlier, so many other problems could have been averted. Why didn't Eon recommend that he could do it? Well, I guess Eon wanted me to figure this shit out on my own. So it's a whole lot of, you know, mental beating himself up while he's doing this. Yeah, this this is one of those issues where you kind of have to wonder, does Quasar have an undiagnosed bipolar disorder? Oh, totally, dude. The, the, oh, God, fucking, yeah, that dude needs serious therapy. Oh, yeah. Serious, serious therapy. And he has access to it. He's an Avenger. They yes. have a support staff. He can talk yeah. to somebody. They've got to have a counselor, Troy. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, you would think, all right, just hear me out on this. You would think that they would do some sort of mental evaluation before they allow you to become an Avenger. And as soon as I said that, I immediately thought of both Hank Pym and Bruce Banner. So perhaps they don't have that screening process. Well, Hank Pym and Bruce Banner were grandfathered in. Oh, okay, sure. They, sure. They, they were there before they wrote the bylaws. That's right, before they wrote the bylaws that said, hey, you can't be crazy pants. No wife beating, Hank. I'm looking at you, pal. <laughs> yeah, I, quick aside. I, I love how people constantly bring up the fact that uh, Hank Pym backslapped Jan once. Mm -hmm. You know who else did something similar to that once? Who? Peter Parker. He decked his pregnant wife. But no one, no one brings that up. I don't remember that. Yeah, it, it was one of those. And we're, you know, Hank Pym has the strength of a normal man. 
Yeah. Bad enough to hit a woman with the strength of a normal man. When you have the proportionate strength of a spider and she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, okay. That's so that's times a, worse. <laughs> a really valid point. The only argument I can think of is that Hank Pym did it repeatedly and had a, a schizophrenia, you know, um, true multiple personalities, oh, yeah. which is where Yellow Jacket comes in. Um, and I don't know if you ever read the Ultimates run, which is one of the best fucking comics ever. Um, he, like, they graphically show him just not being very nice to Jan. And then uh, the Steve Rogers of that universe goes and kicks the shit out of him for it before he starts dating Jan while Jan is still technically married to Hank. Boy, that's all kind of screwed up. Yeah, well, you know, these things happen. <laughs> that's how uh, workplace romances. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Quasar follows the trail to the Himalayas. And all I can hear is John Ratzenberger as the abominable snowman. Welcome to the Himalayas! <laughs> and he lands behind the speedster. Well, remember, this is a guy with super speed and super speed senses, so he immediately turns around, sees somebody, and attacks him. So, Makari runs in circles around Quasar, throwing punches... Until Quasar says, okay, well, you can't run through molasses, so here you go. Mm -hmm. At which point, Makari, you know, a complete personality switch is like, oh yeah, you're the guy that helped me. You're my friend now. Yeah, and he's got so many fucking corny jokes. Uh, you know, it's you're, you're led to believe that he learned English by watching American television. And he's just such a, 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 a yuck, yuck, yuck uh, jokester. Uh, that it's 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 sickening. I mean, it's almost like Wreckgar from the Transformers movie, where he's talking in TV lingo, but it's all just bad puns and jokes. It's it's it gets a little fucking annoying. I'm glad they they calm that shit down. Yeah, well, for his first appearance, I guess he didn't have him quite dialed in yet. Yeah, yeah, and and thank God they don't make him such a moody prick like Quicksilver. Of course, they explained that away by they said if you're living at super speed and everybody else is living at normal speed, you get annoyed real quick because you're waiting for the rest of the world to catch up to something you figured out ages ago, but they're still on. You know, you're just moving so much faster than everybody else, and that makes total sense because I get annoyed when I have to explain something to somebody else two or three times. Or you wait for them to decide uh, what kind of attack they're doing. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. If, if any of you listen to my other show, The Bad Advice Show, Rob, I love him dearly. He's such a great dude. But he comes to the D&D table with a stack of papers at least an inch thick with every single spell he could potentially cast. Now, mind you, he hasn't prepped them for the day, but he goes through it and takes forever to decide what he wants to cast and he usually casts the most idiotic thing possible where if he just would attack the encounter would be over already <laughs> if he just swing that morning star he has we'd be done but no Ritzy, oh you know hey what if i created water above his head would that slow him down no fucking it's not going to do anything but annoy him <laughs> anyway can we get back to the sure uh, the, Thank you. So, the obligatory fight over, Makari treats us to a flashback. Apparently, in his mind, he wasn't fast enough, so he went to train with Master Elo for a year. Mm -hmm. And as soon as his training was over, he took off, which is where he met Quasar, because apparently his speed just got away from him. You know, Master Elo, uh, it sounds like that... Uh, um, <sighs> Uh, remember the Abbott and Costello who's on first, but the entire 30 minute radio play Yes. where, you know, Eno's slaughter, Eno's slaughter. Well, maybe Eno's slaughter, but I don't know who he is. <laughs> no, I mean, slaughter the baseball player with that bat. Slaughter you can slaughter player, anybody bat like that. You can slaughter anybody. Uh, it was one of the first cassette tapes I ever got. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know, because I listen to it in your car over and over. That's why I have it memorized. <laughs> so I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's what <laughs> You're just stating fact, that's all. So once Makari woke up from his week of rest, because apparently it took a, 
a week's sleep to get over this running he did, he came back to the f- cave to find Elo gone and a letter D etched in the dirt. Mm-hmm. This can only mean... Only that, mean... <laughs> that the deviants, deviants kidnapped Elo. Right? Because... <laughs> The reason why we knew it wasn't Daredevil is because there wasn't two of them and they weren't on fire. (laughs) So Quasar offers to help and the two take off to the deviant city of Lemuria, which is in the Mariana Trench. Yeah. Which is, for those of you that don't know, in the middle of the damn ocean. (laughs) Right. So what Quasar does... So Makari takes off and he's flying, or flying, running super, super duper quick. Quasar's having trouble keeping up, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because he can fly between planets. But let's just assume the atmosphere slows him down. So what he does is he does like a Spider-Man flip and puts a tether line on him and gets dragged uh, behind in the air like a kite. If he doesn't have to do the work, why bother? Why bother? Save that energy for something else. They get to the center of the ocean where the Marianas Trench is, and he one force bubble later, they have some air, and they are headed down. And as soon as they get into the city, Makari runs off to search, because he's super fast, he can do it in a blink of an eye. Right. Quasar, not wanting to be bored, apparently, pulls right. a hood out of his cape, which we've never seen before and we'll never see again, and uh-huh. wanders off, following the noise to a gladiatorial arena. And he kind of looks like a cross between the red-haired chick from the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon and the dark, Drizzt, the dark elf. Yes. Yeah, I guess. Like see that's that. like if you can combine those two images in your head, that's what he looks like. And it's actually not a bad look. No, it's but, it, it it's it it would blend in if there were actually people around him. <laughs> and it would blend in if those people around him were also wearing cloaks. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> so he gets to the the arena and he sees that there are two fighters one of which is huge and the other and is beating the snot out of somebody you know the other fighter do you know who the other fighter is ransack i'm not from ransack do you know who ransack is related to i do not please enlighten me he is the secret son of Maelstrom. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Secret son of Maelstrom. Not There's really not a whole lot of other information. He's, you know, apparently like in the Deviant uh, Eternal storyline. By the way, they give us a quick a summary of what Eternals and Deviants are. You could listen to our Thanos episode and find out who the Eternals are, so we won't go through that. Um, but... The deviants are okay. So if the uh, celestials came to Earth and mucked around in the human genome and created Eternals, which are godlike, very beautiful, long-lived, they're the elves of the Marvel universe. Um, the Kree also come to Earth and decide, okay, we're going to muck around with the genome, and they create the Inhumans. And who was it that created the deviants? I think the deviants was the first draft of the Eternals, like the Celestials tried to create, and they created the Deviants and the Eternals, correct? Is that how it went? Uh, let me see. Uh, Makari actually makes that. Da, 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 da. Uh, yep. Yeah, basically, the the Deviants were phase one. They were just right. saying, if, if they can do it. And then they figured, oh, well, we can do this, we shouldn't do that. Here are the Eternals. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Which which is why there's that conflict between the Eternals and the Deviants, because they were both created by the same people, but, well, Dad always liked you best. Right, right. You know, and really the Cain versus Xavier model of two-dimensional writing that was very prevalent 60s, 70s, 80s. Right. Um, So Maelstrom... You guys will know who Maelstrom is if we ever get to those issues since we do like one or two a year. Um, but Maelstrom is the guy who kills Quasar for the first time in his run. Yes, not the only time, just the first time. <laughs> just the first of many times. The first time it actually cuts cuts his hands out off in the process. 
which is rather disgusting, really. Yeah. So that's who Ransack is. He's yes. the secret son of Maelstrom. There's more information here on this uh, page that I pulled up, but it's really not relevant to the rest of this story. All right, so Quasar sees what's going on, and then he proves that he was out sick the day that S.H.I.E.L.D. taught undercover work. Yeah. <laughs> so he sends a quantum beam down to grab Tutanax's hand, then flies down and challenges him to a fight, because this is what he does. He sees someone that is bigger and stronger than him and says, hey, I need my face beaten in some more. Right, right. You're sneak you, first of all, you put a cloak on, presumably to be sneaky sneaky. And then you're being successful or moderately successful in sneaky sneaky. And then what do you do? Okay, we're in a gladiatorial combat. There's all these crowds around. I'm just going to enter uninvited this gladiatorial contest because one guy is beating up another guy. <sighs> and that, so his self-doubts may have a little bit of reason to him, but whatever. Yeah, it's fucking retard. <laughs> like, I root for him, but goddamn, what a dummy. So after using his cape as a bullfighter would, Quasar immediately... Quasar is immediately on the back foot as Tutanax apparently turns into Dr. Vaughn. Yeah, so that's Quasar's dad, and they don't explain any of that. He just looks like Dr. Vaughn. Now, I'm assuming that they they think that we all know about these back issues. And I had to look this up because I remembered this character, but remembered nothing more than the name and the face. Uh, Tutanax possesses vastly human strength, lifting over 100 tons. And had claimed the moniker the Mountain Mover by doing just that. So we're talking Hulk-level strength. Abilities. As a gladiator, he was skilled in many forms of hand-to-hand combat. He made he had mental abilities that allowed him to sense certain things that are otherwise undetectable, though it is unknown if this was telepathy or some other power. He could summon images from a foe's mind and create an illusion resembling whatever that foe fears the most. Which, as we've found out over these past 12 issues, yeah, he has a problem with his dad. Daddy issues! (laughs) (laughs) So, as Quasar is being beaten to a pulp for the second time this issue... By his daddy. Oh, daddy, stop hitting me. (laughs) We cut to the real Dr. Vaughn, who's trying to write his upstart son a letter. Uh In the middle of this, a sudden pain takes him, and he collapses to the floor. Aw. More on that later. Yeah. Back in Lemuria, Makari has found Elo. I keep wanting to to read it E-L-O. Yeah. Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah, no, I totally, I am totally with you on that, brother. And apparently, Elo was kidnapped to try and help the Deviant Gladiators to defeat Tutanax. Because, you know, this guy is the Zen master of everything, apparently. Right, and he was in the fifth level of meditation. Next, he knew he was here with the Deviant Warlord removing a brain mine from my forehead. So, fifth level means eh, I'm pretty much asleep. Yeah, he's taking a nap. That's what I'm going to do next time I fall asleep when I'm out with some friends. Like, I'm just, oh, I'm just, I've reached the fifth level of meditation to leave me the fuck alone. Tom. Makari runs off to get a chainsaw, which apparently the deviants have. And, well, of course they do. Well, yeah. And we head back to the arena where Tutanax is about to step on Quasar's head. He is stopped by Ransack, however, who beats the Mountain Mover into unconsciousness and claims victory. (laughs) You are too muscle-bound to reach me back here, Oaf. All I have to do is hit you till you drop. And then the entire crowd, Ransack, Ransack, Ransack. (laughs) And I, I love the one thing. He cheated. Oh, does it really? They have rules here? Where does here? it say that? Oh, yeah, he cheated right there. Oh, that is funny. And technically, he did cheat. Yeah, he used Quasar as a distraction, more or less. This is exactly how come Rowdy Roddy Piper has an undefeated record. <laughs> because he never gets pinned, he only gets disqualified. Yep. Or he just walks off. <laughs> 
You just say, I'm he done. Just walks I'm off. out. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Ransack is prevented from finishing off Quasar, however, as Makari runs through and grabs our hero. With the trio of the two Eternals and the uh, really, really beaten up Quasar back together. He looks like lunch meat. Oh, yeah. So Quasar creates a bubble and transports them out of the city. The next day, Wendell wakes up on his office couch, not having wanted to face his father after the fight they had. He hears a commotion in the outer office and finds Ken, Kayla, and Ms. Steckley. Steckley informs him that she has brought in her fifth client and, therefore, is now the newest employee of Vaughn Securities. Well, hell yeah, man. If you're going to bring me clients all day long. <laughs> new, five new clients in a week? Come on in. How much do you I'll want? I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. At the same time, in Connecticut, Eon's consciousness discovers Gilbert Vaughn's body. Even though he's been dead for 12.6 hours. Eon yeah, yeah, says, can I read this? Yeah. He's like, Gilbert, you have collapsed on the floor, I see. Your heart has not beaten in 12.6 hours. Consequently, your brain cells have been catastrophically deprived of oxygen. Bacterial decay and rigor mortis racks your fragile form. Alas, my friend, death has claimed you. This will not do. This most certainly will not do. Ooh, there's a cliffhanger for you. What's going to happen? Gene, so excited. Well, if I remember right, we don't even find out next issue what happens. I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't read issue 13 in like 25 years. That'll be tonight's <laughs> task. Um, I want to add a new thing. On a scale from 1 to 5, or we don't do 1 to 5 or 1 to 10, we should start rating these issues. Oh, okay. <laughs> Rolling. What do you think? 1 to 5 or 1 to 10? I like 1 to 5. Okay, on a scale from 1 to 5. I mean, I have to give this one a 2. Yeah, that's exactly where I was with it. Like, I'm happy I read it, but if I never read it again for the rest of my life, yeah, I, I'd be I, cool. I think this is one of the ones I didn't originally have. Mm -hmm. And then... Yeah, so I've only read it for the first time very recently, and mm -hmm. I think the editor's notes just referring to the issue were more interesting than the issue. Yeah, I, um, I've i read some real stinkers in my time where I feel like I deserve my money back. Mm. Uh, uh, this is not one of those, but if I had never read this, I, um, I don't think I would have a problem. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, really... It's only notable for two things. One, Makari essentially becoming the sidekick. Mm -hmm. And Gilbert Vaughn dying. The, that's it. I mean, the, yeah. the, the whole thing with the Deviant City, Master Elo. Um, oh, well, I, I guess yeah, him setting up the energy lattice, that comes back a couple times. But that's something that, that's a throwaway. That, that was done in, what, two panels? So, I mean, that's that's nothing that's huge. So, yeah, it, it's not horrible. It's not throw it across the room, but it's it's definitely below par. I agree. I feel like it's almost setting things up like, OK, let's get all this bullshit set up stuff out of the way so we can have a real story arc which I'm hoping is what jumps in on number 13. Now, I don't remember number 13. I haven't read it in a while, but uh, this is uh, what I'm thinking is going to be happening. Yeah, the the first big story arc starts next. So this okay. this gets some of the stuff. It doesn't really it really doesn't even set up number 13. That's the problem. It's just, it's some stuff that will come in later on, but a lot of it is just pointless. Anything involving the Deviants is pointless for the rest of Quasar's run. Mm -hmm. And that, that gets a, that's a bit annoying, you know? But, yeah, it's still a Quasar issue, so it's, it's, it's better than most. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't, I, I got nothing. I really yeah. got nothing. Well, how about we move on to our listener mail? Because, sure. as I said, there was a lot to do with issue 12 in here. So, hey guys, this is the guy that called Adam a Bobby Heenan-style heel. So, we're all, all right. off to a good start. <laughs> 
Honestly, that's what I'm going for. So, you know, <laughs> if I even come close to that, I'm cool. He says, still enjoying the show. I just finished episode 11, which coincidentally covered Quasar 11. Yeah, amazing how that works. Hmm. The ending of Quasar 11, which I had completely forgotten about, where he creates a quantum construct of his own face and it, and punches it, is a great emotional segue to the start of Quasar number 12, where Quasar is getting his ass handed to him by the former Thanos henchman, the Blood Brothers. Mm -hmm. What bothered me about Quasar number 12 was it was little more than Quasar thinks a lot and gets his butt kicked repeatedly. People show up, in this case, most of whom are deviants with a few notable exceptions, and then the issue ends. The highlight of the issue is Makari, whom I see as Gruenwald bringing into, onto the scene from near obscurity to help create a friendship for Quasar, not unlike the friendship between Hal Jordan and Barry Allen from the Distinguished Competition. As Mark Gruenwald huh. was un, an unrepentant fan of the Justice League and always wanted to write for them, Okay, yeah, and he didn't want to use Quicksilver because Quicksilver's a douche. Right. And so how many other speedsters are in, like, running speedsters, speedsters are there in the Marvel Universe? And also, Makari allowed him to do whatever he wanted. You know, Quicksilver was tied in with the Avengers, with the X-Men. Yeah, okay, Ma dig it. Makari, he could just do whatever, you know, didn't, didn't really matter. I'm, uh, I'm feeling you, I'm feeling you. Uh, he continues, building this rela relationship in his own book uh, with the brief cameo-slash-tribute in Quasar 17, where the closest he got to writing the Justice League other than the Squadron Supreme, which was obvious analogs of the Justice League. That's mm -hmm. In fact, that was that was the marketing for the Squadron Supreme, is you in their ad, you just saw them in silhouette. Yeah, and it just, it's like, wait, how is Marvel doing this? And then you saw the actual picture. It's like, oh, okay, they're analogs. Sure, sure. Well, I have some comments on that. I know that you will disagree with me, but I I do find that a lot of the Justice League characters, especially the older ones, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, tend to be one dimensional archetypes. But you know, you've got to start somewhere. You you got to start at gross to get your to your net and. Uh, You've got to start with a one-dimensional character before you can flush it into two or three dimensions. Oh yeah, I I agree with that. Um, and for for vast majority of the publishing history, I would agree with you. Uh, once you once you get into the eighties, um, at least with Superman and Wonder Woman, that's when things started getting more nuanced. Uh, when you had John Byrne on Superman, and then that moved off into the the what's known as the triangle era where essentially the superman books were a weekly story and then you had george perez on wonder woman and he went all the way back to the original greek mythology and built up from there so mm -hmm. uh in the in the right hands any character can be good sure you fair just, enough you just have to get to those right hands and for some it took a little longer than others a little longer just a little longer so back to the email uh in issue number 12 i think wendell hits rock bottom emotionally and really there isn't a good reason for it as far as i can tell mm -hmm. sure he's had his fat pulled out of the fire a couple times in issue eight he's fine at the end and even giving blue shield a pep talk in number nine, by the end, he's wondering why Eon never clued him into the fact that he could protect his mind from psionics with the quantum bands. In number ten, Eon had to help him to wake up when Dr. Minerva had sedated him, and Quasar is apparently upset about it. At the end of number eleven, Quasar needs help against something that the quantum bands have zero control over. So what is he? So he does the grown-up thing and creates a construct of his own face and punches it. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, he, he really is just a little boy wanting daddy's love. Um, however, you know, one could say that Eon might ex might should explain a few things. Like if you're supposed to be – Eon's supposed to be the mentor mm. and he's given these, you know, most powerful weapons in the universe. It's almost like the greatest American hero where he's given the super suit with no instructions. Right. Like – and yet you've got – one of the oldest entities in the universe that created the quantum bands, 
you'd think that that guy would just spend like a week with you giving you a little crash course like oh hey you can do this or you can do that versus just letting you bumble around well my take on is this it because eon has cosmic awareness as much as captain marvel did cosmic awareness lets you know anything about any anybody at any time mm-hmm. the problem though is you know all that all the time to get any specific information you have to focus down and concentrate mm-hmm. but what i think the the problem with eon is is it it might be a lot like dr manhattan from watchmen uh you read watchmen in yes, recent memory and- <laughs> You know, I, I, I watched the movie and I read the comic book and the comic book is dense and hard to read. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of the few people that thinks the movie did the story better than the comic. I think that it was, they were both okay. I did not like the end of the movie. I think, I think that often movies need to create a more simplistic storyline and specifically ending. Just because it's too much to explain to the movie public, you know, someone is coming in raw. But the end to the comic was far superior to the than the end of the movie, in this man's opinion. Um, regardless, you're making analogy between Doctor Manhattan and Eon, right? Because Doctor Manhattan exists simultaneously, consciously, on all points of his timeline at the same time. Yeah, I think yeah. it's pretty much the same with Eon. He's not purposely withholding information. He literally cannot remember whether he's told Quasar this or told that protector this or that one. Oh, that's a good point. So it's like old hat information. It's like when I'm talking to somebody at work and maybe it's a client, somebody that's new, and I skip a very vital step in explaining how the process is going to work because it is so natural and so ingrained to me that it's like air but it's new to the new person it's like if i told you gene uh you know explain to me how you walk across the room and breathe while you're doing it Mm -hmm. you'd never be able to do it because you do it naturally all the time so maybe like you said he just he doesn't realize that quasar doesn't know it because it's he's like he thinks that he ought to know it already right he 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 has done this so many times by now I mean, since the almost the Big Bang, right? He's had, he has appointed protectors of the universe. By this point, he's forgotten who he's told what. He thinks that he that Quasar knows all this just because he's told so many people it already. So it it it's not he's not purposely being obtuse. He is not testing Quasar. He literally does not know that he that Quasar does not know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which fascinating. Which gives it a, a different dimension because you can read this from Quasar's point of view as why is he being so mean to me? Right. Or and then from Eon's point of view, when Quasar asks the question, is like, oh yeah, of course you can do that. <laughs> Didn't you know? <laughs> Fair enough. I think that's a very good point. Is there anything that we want to talk more about with this comic, or can I just throw it back in the long box and never think about it again? No, you can throw it back in the long box. No oh, problem. Oh, thank God. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what do we want to do before we sign off? Um, I want to thank listeners for writing in. I actually do enjoy getting your emails uh, and the messages that you guys send. Uh, Gene, is there anything you want to promote? Uh, not at the moment, since I really haven't been doing a whole hell of a lot of anything, uh, okay. you know, the, the, the only thing I've been keeping up on is my, my weekly blog, which is thehammerstrikes.com. Every Thursday, I've got something new going on over there. Uh, mm-hmm. Podcasting-wise, I've just been making a mess of guest appearances. Uh, the, <laughs> probably the, the most amusing and most recent one, as of this recording, is I was on... The Short Box Showcase on the Relatively Geeky Network, uh, which was, uh, I can't remember the, the actual episode one, but it, it was their uh, 2018 State of the Podcast Anniversary Special. 
where myself and a bunch of other podcasters help them do a uh, dramatic reenactment of a comic book. Oh, fun. It was a the Super Sons Annual from 2017, and I played Crypto. <laughs> so I, I got to put my uh, fluency in dog to good use. Well, that sounds like it's right up your freaking alley. Yes, it is. I was told that I growl quite well. <sighs> Nothing. I... <laughs> How about you, I, Adam? What do you? What do you I, I I really I really feel like there's a comment that needs to be made, but I just don't know what it is. Um, all right. So for whom the dice roll podcast, Tom Stanley runs that. I have fun being on that. That's a live action fifth edition D and D podcast. I play Doc, who is a half elf rogue masquerading as a medic. Uh, think about that as one part Peter Vinkman, one part Rocket Raccoon. Um, we've had some production delays, which, you know, who hasn't? And the storyline is at a arc change right now. But, you know, get caught up. And then when we get the new arc going, you'll enjoy that. Uh, Bad Advice Show. I love the Bad Advice Show. We're on hiatus right now, but we just put out our 50th episode, which was surprisingly good. We've had a few stinkers earlier this year, but, uh, you know, for the most part, I think we bat about 700 and really for free, for no promotional materials, for no financing, for, you know, just we put it out for free because it's fun for us to do and you get to listen to it for free. Fuck you if you don't like 700. Uh, a 700 batting average. Hey, if it's a stinker, turn it off. As long as it's better than episode 10, you're good. Yeah, well, phew. some of them were not quite as good as episode 10. The one where I let Sean host oh, was God. it was a clusterfuck, and I didn't want to release it, but we didn't have anything else to put out, so I finally just put it out as like a cringeworthy episode. Like, listen to this and just feel yourself shrivel up in the seats <laughs> as to how bad it can get. Uh, episode 50, I really dug. Um, and I hope to have more out in September, which is when this episode should be out. Sweet. Hopefully we will get back to a more regular, uh, podcasting schedule simply because Kira is now 10. She doesn't need as much supervision. So I may, my evenings may be freeing up. We shall see. Awesome. Well, we've spent almost an hour and really, this should have been a 30-minute show, so why don't we call it and uh, join us next time for Quasar number 13. All right. See you next time, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Quantum Cast, your source for all things Quasar. You can find us on the web at quantumbands.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Google Plus under Quantum Bands. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, please email us at quantum.bands at yahoo.com. Part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.